everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Stud. And I'm Ron Stud. Ron, 19. That's this episode. 19. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm, I'm hanging in there. What's, what's going on in your world? I did want to give a quick shout out to the podcast X Radio X. I know they talked about us on their podcast, which I think is awesome. And the other thing is we've been doing some stuff on the side, like you know, I've been trying to uh, update our web page. I've been trying to uh, get actually, we've got a YouTube channel now. How cool is that? A YouTube channel? Yeah. Whoa. So, yeah. So, for anybody listening to us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button and hit subscribe because it really totally helps our site out. I, I mean, sorry, you know, kind of force a habit. Ron, were you a voice actor in a past life? Possibly. We, we already talked about it <laughs> during the one episode. <laughs> but, Enough about me. Let's get to a really awesome guest. Alex, I'll let you introduce him. Yes, this is a, uh, a very good friend. I, obviously, I will let him introduce uh, himself. But I, I do have a funny, slightly embarrassing story that I thought about right before we went on the air. I remember this individual. We grew up together. He called. This is before everyone had cell phones. He called the house one time. And, and again, this is six studs living in the house. And he says, hey, is Stud there? I forget who picked up the phone. I think it was my sister. And she goes, uh, which, which Stud? There's, there's six of them. And Cortland was like, uh, Alex, he, he forgot for a second. Because nobody, <laughs> nobody uh, in that, at that era, in that time, knew me as Alex. Everyone just called me Stud. So to give you a little background, a very funny guy. Uh, known him for many, many years. He was a childhood friend growing up. Cortland Garrett, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. So the reason why I actually called you Stud was because I used to say Alex, like with an O. True. Like Ollie. So I got so embarrassed for so many years, not years, months to year of calling you Alex and always getting corrected. I started calling you Stud. And I think it was your father that answered the phone, or that answered the phone actually. Oh, okay. And it said, <laughs> well, which, which Stud do you want? And I was super confused because I thought there was only one. Yeah. Well, and it is funny. Remember remember those days when actually you had to call people's houses and you never knew who was going to answer? Yeah, that was always fun because you never you not only did you never know who was answering, but you didn't know if you had the right number either. So you could call like the wrong house or the wrong person or something. And it's just like, who? Uh, maybe did I get the wrong number? No, no, no. This is the right stud house. But which stud do you want? I'm also trying to remember where I wrote your number down that I knew it. Probably like, I don't know. It's funny because we rode the school bus together. I'm envisioning like uh, this is this is before everyone obviously had phones. So I'm envisioning like, I don't know. Hey, ready in your don't, don't date me. Don't date me like that, man. Don't make me that much older than I am. <laughs> you're a little bit older than me, so you're ancient. Uh... So that's yeah. Certainly, that was that was a good. 20 years ago though let's be honest uh, oh yeah 18 well, 18 years ago i guess when we probably met each other 2001 2002 ish <clears throat> yeah so it's it's been quite some time Cortland, i gave you the, the quick little hey we, we've known each other for a long time we grew up together mm -hmm. but how do you give us a little bit more like okay. what's the story how did we meet what's your earliest memories give me that mm -hmm. kind of thing so hey everyone my name is Cortland. uh you know hopefully we get some fun in here um i met so i moved to delaware back in 2001 i was about 11 and i kind of met alex and ron well, i met alex in particular just from being in the neighborhood so i rode the bus with our, our friend ruben and i think in knowing ruben and just being and ruben, younger, friend of the show who's already been mm -hmm. on so I think just, you know, being a part of the, the neighborhood, I kind of got to know these guys. I think we started bonding a lot in the the Yu-Gi-Oh card game era and the, you know, tackle football without pads and, you know, era as well. Playing basketball with older kids who didn't let us play. So we had to wait about an hour and a half to even play. And we were horrible. But Alex was always tall at that point. So you were was, always tall. Well, I was horrible, though. You're better than me, which is funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, those were we, – we'd play a lot of football. We played a lot of basketball. We played Yu-Gi-Oh! And do you remember we also played Neopets? Oh, that's right. Well, you played it with with uh, your friends a lot more than I played it. You and Gabby in particular, you were really into Neopets. I could never get past, like, level 12 and 18 with the Neopets. You needed too many, like, runes and all that stuff, so – 
Yeah, well, yeah, then, I remember that. And then I remembered we'd all hang out after school, and then immediately it was like 4.50. We'd all be like, all right, we got to go because we got to get home because Dragon Ball Z is going to be on at 5. Tsunami. Uh, I miss it. Yeah. So, so we certainly went through a lot of adolescent years together, and we lived, what, two and a half blocks from each other? Mm-hmm. So it was very convenient for us to hang out. So I used to be able, to, before all the fences went up, I used to be able to sneak through my back. So my neighbors behind me, I could sneak through their yard and I would literally be a stone throw from Alex's house. Mm-hmm. But the other way would take me a, a solid, we'll say maybe a quarter mile walk to yeah. get to you. Yeah. So those were the days. Oh, yeah. Cortland, what do you, what do you been, let's fast forward 18 years. Okay. Where are you today? What, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Areas of interest. So let's see. I I moved from Philadelphia to Delaware when I was 11. Uh, I spent my life through high school in Delaware. From that point, I moved from Delaware to North Carolina, where I went to Elon University. So I was there for, again, four years. Came back to Delaware for a year. Uh, I hated it here. And I didn't hate it because of, you know, <laughs> the actual social life. I had a really bad job. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I think it's about time I, uh, you know, try something different. So I went to North Carolina. I fell in love with North Carolina. Shout out to Greensboro, one of the best cities. Uh, I was there for six years, and my job relocated me back to Delaware. So I consider myself the prodigal son returning. <laughs> there you go. You made a full circle. Yes. I think as you call it a, a boomerang. Yeah, I would call you that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Tell us, what are you drinking tonight? So as as it is customary when dealing with uh, Sir Alexander Stud, I have some Malort. Oh, wonderful. I have a shot of Malort, so uh, Mazel Tov to everyone. Here we go. Mazel Tov. But my drink for today, and I think Alex will get a kick out of this, is actually Arbor Mist. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So there's a funny story with my my friends. So uh, I like sweet drinks. I like tropical drinks. And I remember, you know, we were were, were of age at this point, but I never had liquor in the house. But my mom always had Arbor Mist. So I remember one time we were just at the house and we wanted to drink something. And I pulled out a bottle of Arbor Mist and they didn't let me live it down. Like I half expected (laughs) Alex to actually have a bottle of Arbor Mist today just to mess with me. No, I think I'd rather stay sober than drink Arbor Mist. And I think I may have even said that to you as a 21-year-old kid when you pulled that out. Uh, But you know what? I I will say this. You are spot on. You've always liked sweeter drinks, and you own it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not like, oh, come on. Like, you're like, yeah, I do. Like, so what? And I've always really liked that about you. Well, I think it's I like most drinks. Um, like I said, I can drink Malort at this point and not cringe like most people. How long? <laughs> tell me how long did that take? Well, the first one, I kind of drank it and I had to accept that I couldn't be weaker than Ruben. So I just took it. <laughs> and then about the third or fourth shot, I was like, you know what? Wormwood isn't that bad. And actually, funny thing, wormwood technically is a plant, not a wood, but I'm a wood chemist. So Whenever Whoa. I hear wormwood, I think huh, I'm a chemist, but it's that wormwood's a plant. Uh, so it was, it was kind of fate, kind of. Yes. There you oh, go. Well, nice. so wait, wait. So, so what kind of Arbor Mist are you drinking? Um, I think it's it's a white Zinfandel, uh, tropical, oh, exotic fruits. Exotic. Ooh. Yes. Very nice. Wow. Very exotic. You, you are really revved up and ready to go then. It's Thursday, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, what do you have over there? All right. So tonight I've I've got a Flaviar sampler box with it's it's the Balcones uh, sampler. So it's got three different Balcones whiskeys. So the one I'm on now is their Texas single malt edition. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it a sip. I have not tried it yet. It's very nice. What the heck are you drinking over there? I that looks I, good, whatever it is. I think I've had this once on the show before. Traverse City whiskey. Oh, it's yeah. uh, they're they're. I'm a I'm a big rye guy. I've noticed that in the last like six months, I've been drinking a lot of rye. I don't even think I connected the dots, but yeah, I am drinking their North Coast rye. So nice. there you go. Hey, Cortland. Next question. Pick a piece of art. Okay. And we're gonna judge you for it. That's yeah. fine. I don't mind being judged. Pick a piece so, of art. That, did you already know the question? Did you cheat? Did you already no. look ahead? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm thinking. Pick <laughs> a piece of art 
that speaks to you, that represents you. Oh. And tell us about it. I mean, I have a favorite art piece, but I'm not sure if you even know this, Alex. I really like Greek mythology. Oh, okay. So it's an art piece in that I had no tattoos, but if I do get one, I would get a tattoo of Sisyphus. So, the guy rolling up the rock and it always falls exactly. down. Yes. And yep. the reason why I would do that is so Sisyphus is the king of Corinth, and he's seen as like this um, – he's very devious, but it's devious in the way that men are devious to gods. So he's calculated and intelligent. So for me, how I look at Sisyphus is he's, he's rolling this thing up the mountain, and it's a futile act, as the gods say, because it's cursed to fall back down. But as a scientist, that's how I view science. It's we are perpetually rolling this boulder up this mountain to acquire God's knowledge to only fall down. And the falling down is finding more questions than you did answers. So I think a good scientist will find one answer, but in doing so, we'll have five more questions. I can say this safely. I am fascinated by Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Sisyphus is someone I've, I've always had an interest in myself. I remember learning about his character his persona in high school and college. Yeah. You're the first person who I've ever heard explain the story in a positive light. Because most people interpret it as like, yes. Uh, and in fact, I think he was given this task and, and he is immortal. I don't, I've, yes. I don't know. I don't even remember if he's immortal because he already was, or if he was a human that they made immortal. But the whole thing is like, he will be rolling up this boulder, and every time he thinks he's going to get there, every time he thinks he's going to get to the top, it falls mm -hmm. back down. And he has to do that every day, every moment, yep. for eternity. And well, it's, yeah, like how, how I, that's fascinating that you have a <laughs> positive spin on that. So let me tell you, I can, I can give you the full story. Listen, I love Greek mythology, so I'll give you the full story in a very short way. So Sisyphus is the king of Corinth. He. In, in, in keeping his power, he actually betrayed um, the law that Zeus put down, which is when you invite someone into your home, you should do them with respect. But he would betray that trust and he would kill his opposition. So they would come into his home under the guise of I'm in your home as a guest. You cannot harm me. And he would literally kill other kings and other people that challenge his power. So mm -hmm. Zeus being Zeus, because we all know Zeus wasn't the nicest guy ever. Yep. He said, all right, it's time for you to go. So he sends one of the aspects of death, which is a Thanatos, an aspect of death. And he says, all right, it's time for you to come with us, bro. Like Zeus wants you. So uh, Sisyphus is like, hey, how do those cuffs work? Like, I'm not sure how they work. Do you mind? Can I try them on you? So he puts these cuffs on Thanatos. And the cuffs actually bind Thanatos, who now can't take him to the underworld. So Sisyphus continues to live. But now with Ares going to war... People aren't dying. So wars are happening and people are just fighting and not dying. <laughs> so now Ares is like, what, bro, what's going on here? He's like, yo, we're not like, this isn't fun. So then, so then Ares is like, all right. So Ares breaks the chains on Thanatos and he grabs um, Sisyphus. Yo, it's time for you to go. So then Sisyphus tells his wife before he leaves, he says, hey, babe, when I go, throw my body in the streets. Don't ask questions. Just throw my body in the streets. Don't give me the proper rights that a king deserves upon death. So then he goes, he goes to a Hades or hell. And when he gets there, he says, Persephone, which is the, the wife of Hades. He says, Persephone, look at what my wife did. She threw my body in the streets. Like, that's messed up. I need to go back and punish her. Because in this time, that was considered what you would do to your wife if she disrespected if she you in that way. Your dead body <laughs> yes. So yeah. Persephone, she was like, all right, I get it. Like, yeah, that's kind of messed up. So she let him go back to Earth. And he said, babe, great job. And he stayed on Earth. So then. <laughs> Loophole. <laughs> yep. So now Zeus is like, all right, bro. All right, I got you. So that's when Zeus grants him immortality. And he has to perpetually roll this boulder up the mountain. See, I have to say this: the 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 whole uh, Greek mythology, yes, it is crazy. Like a lot of like raping and murdering and horrible stuff. But there's some really great parables and stories yes. that come through it. And I remember uh, I took a class in college where a professor talked about how, in many ways, the gods envied the Greek people, the humans. And yes. the reason they did was because of the fact that they were mortal mm -hmm. and, and the fact that 
when you die, you have a new generation of people coming up mm-hmm. behind you and they're going to change things. They're going to make, they're going to bring progress. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the gods were so dysfunctional. And the main reason they were dysfunctional is because the people in charge were always in charge and they never weren't in charge. Mm-hmm. And so when you had these imperfect people like Zeus who were never leaving, mm-hmm. well, how, how, how was a society supposed to, supposed to, uh, progress, and I think that's that was really mm-hmm. fascinating to me when I was learning that in college because I thought to myself, in many ways, that is that is how we progress. When you think about mm-hmm. the history of this country, and I think we can all agree there were some pretty horrible things this country did, mm-hmm. uh, and and certainly the the blame can go around. But you say, well, every generation, hopefully, we're pushing the needle a little bit further in the right direction. And, and quite frankly, at a certain point, our generation will be seen as the stubborn, old, cogity people. And it's like, well, it's time for you guys to leave. And it's time for the next generation who's going to push it a little bit further. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's essential for society to continue, unlike when you have a immortal structure, a power mm-hmm. structure, where whoever's in charge will always be in charge. So I could go on forever about mythology. If you want that, we can do that all night. But um, I like what you're saying. And actually, Zeus should have been uh, dethroned. So there's actually a story where the, primordi- the primordial gods were the Titans. And then the uh, Greek pantheon, or Zeus, uh, Hades, Poseidon, and the works. So actually, Zeus and them, they came along and they dethroned the primordial gods. And then they created man. And technically in the history, there was supposed to be a dethroning of Zeus. So the torch was supposed to be passed on to someone else. But Zeus in his omniscience, omnipotence, omniscience, in his omniscience prevented that. So in falling into the stagnation that you were just talking about. Right, where nothing ever actually progresses. Exactly. I think that's just fascinating. And and in a way, that whole Greek mythology Mm -hmm. is a bigger example of the Sisyphus story. And to tie Sisyphus back, because I wanted to come full circle, imagine bowling, right? Like a, a, a bowler can bowl, you know, he can get a strike. But over time, he'll destroy the lane and he has to change his angle to get that strike. So that's what I imagine in my head as an immortal person pushing a boulder up. I'm getting better every time I push that boulder to the top. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine he's just pushing it the same exact way every time. I imagine mm-hmm. he's getting more proficient. He's getting better at doing it to the point where like, he knows the easiest way to get to the top. It's going to come back down, but we have the scientific method, which is the most effective way of getting at a result. When you, when you say – just because I want to make sure I understand your analogy. Yes. When you say the bowling lane will get destroyed over time, you're just saying natural wear and tear from the yes. ball itself. So, so I'm going to – yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a bowler, but for my friends that bowl, they've told me, like, yeah, the professionals, like, they can do a strike every time. The issue is you have to adjust because if you roll that same exact uh, line eight times, you know, the grease that's there, the polish that's there is worn. So you're going to catch more or less, you know, yeah. so you have to make adjustments as you go so that you're getting you're actually hitting it at the proper spot every time. Well, and not only that, but over time, the actual lanes themselves get worn down. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're that's a that's a really interesting way. You have to be more creative over time to get the same results. Yep. There you go. Cool. I feel yeah, like that got, that got very <laughs> deep very quickly. I mean, it's yeah. like mythology. I guess that can go on for a while. Yeah, we didn't just. Yeah. I mean, you just didn't just hit on like one part of Greek mythology. Like we were kind of getting into the origin and and so now we ended up bowling. Right. Say, if you want to do a Greek mythology episode, we can do that. I can put you through creation, the the Titan Wars, um, yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, narcissism. I know that story. Yeah. Like we could we could go in. Well, I spent a lot of time reading about Greek mythology because I like the the, the hero's journey. I think is what we all strive for, right? In some way, everyone wants that hero's journey, and it's different for different people. For some people, the hero's journey, like Ruben, is being a chef. The hero's journey for Alex is exploring the world and seeing what's out there. The hero's journey for Ron is working at the company that starts with C and ends with Ox. So, formerly, <laughs> formerly. <laughs> so, you know, it's different for everyone, but I like the stories and what they say. 
I like it's like, you know, people read the Bible for interpretation, understanding, and they kind of uh, they gleam wisdom from it. Well, I like gleaming wisdom from Greek mythology because the gods are more flawed than man sometimes. And actually, Zeus is probably the say, most flawed character. I was going to say more <laughs> often than not, they're more flawed. What, what I found yes. interesting in, in, you know, I took an intro, introduction to philosophy in college, going back to what I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And. I remember learning about the concept of Kleos. Are you familiar with Kleos? Kleos. No, tell me more. I might remember it. Kleos was this idea that was granted to, or communicated, I should say, to uh, mortals, right? To people. Mm -hmm. That was more or less like, hey, you will never be immortal. You are not a god. But mm -hmm. there is a way that you can be, you can be preserved. There's a way that you can be remembered. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is to really make an impact in the world. And hmm. and uh, you can do that. I think Kleos actually translates in Greek to glory or something like that. Okay. And, and the whole idea was like Achilles is a perfect example of that in mm -hmm. the Trojan War where he had an opportunity to say, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm not going to go fight in the war. It doesn't really matter. And in fact, he was actually told before he went to Troy, he was told two things can happen. You can either live here. Uh, in Athens and live a great life or Sparta, mm -hmm. wherever he was from and live a great life. Uh, but no one will remember you. Right. But you'll have a great life. You'll have children. Everything will be great. Or you can go to Troy. You will die. It's, it's, it's a guarantee, <laughs> but forever and ever people will remember your name. People will remember the name Achilles. And therefore his interpretation of that was that is the best way for me to be immortal. The best way for me to be like the gods is mm -hmm. to do something glorious, which is go to Troy, fight in this war, and I will be remembered. Otherwise, I'll be forgotten. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting because that was that is mortal's way yes. to, to try to be like a god. Which touches back to one of my top five movies, the things we do in life echo in eternity, Gladiator. But you know what's very interesting is uh, I remember taking this class, uh, this exact same class in college, and I and obviously it was still instrumental. I'm still thinking about it to this day, mm -hmm. and I, I, the reason I bring this up, Ron, is is I promise you it's going to get into the main segment of what we want to <laughs> talk about, which is science, uh, because we're talking to a scientist tonight. But what I thought was really interesting is uh, not to get too deep too quickly. But I, I remember thinking about this idea of like, oh, wow, like Achilles, yes, he did die at a young age prematurely because he went off to war. But wow, 3,000 years later or whatever, we still remember his name, right? And that's cool that in a way he is immortal. But then I thought about it some further more and I said, well, at the end of the day, and Cortland, keep me honest on this, the world from a scientific standpoint is around four to five billion years old. And mm -hmm. the – and the <clears throat> They believe the sun is in middle life. It has probably another four or five billion years left. And at a certain point, the sun will burn out, right? Because you can't reverse entropy. And it will expand to a certain point where the entire earth will be encapsulated. And meaning everything will be destroyed in existence. And at that point, whether your name is Achilles or George Washington or Alex Studd, you will equally be worthless and non-existent. It'll be as if none of us ever existed in the first place. So to try to attain immortality is a worthless endeavor. It's impossible. You will never live forever because the universe will at some point end. Mm -hmm. The human race, even if we can get off this earth and we can become interplanetary, which is, I hope we can, but at the end of the day, the universe will end at some point, and it doesn't matter if your name is Achilles or Alex Studd. You'll be, in in the lores of history, equally meaningless. So based on that, I would have told Achilles, you know what? Don't go to <laughs> Troy. Hang out. Drink, drink, and smoke peyote or whatever whatever the Greeks did. I don't know. And, and Smoke peyote. <laughs> I don't know. And hang out in Greece. Uh, and don't go to Troy and die prematurely. Do you think that's what do you think? What's your interpretation of that as a scientist? In the way that we name our battleships after presidents and great figures, you could ask a random person, 
a random person may not even know who that person is that the show named after. True. But if you ask the right person, they'll know. Now, if we are ever to become a uh, what is it? Uh, I forget the wording for it, but like there's level zero, one, two, and three. Uh, I think it's something Mickey Miyamoto or something like that who's who dubbed that. I think it's one of the Star Trek guys, I believe, who said that you know we don't use our 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 sun as a source of power yet, or in a major way. But a level one society uses their solar system or their sun as a form of power. A level two can use their galaxy, and a level three is a universal uh, society. So in a way that you're talking about history, you're right. If by the time the sun explodes, we're not a level two society, yeah, we're all gone. However, if we ever attain that, then the history retains itself. And history, you know this as a as a, as a somewhat of a historian, history builds on itself. If uh, if Newton never dropped the apple, then we wouldn't really understand gravity how we understand it. Even if you don't know who Newton is, you're, yes. you're totally right. But but at a certain point, the universe will end entirely. So even if we did get onto other galaxies, it doesn't well, matter. We could be in a simulation as well, though. So That's we awesome. could be. <laughs> yes, we could be in a simulation. And in fact, Elon Musk said, "I hope we are, because if we are, then that means somehow we're in a contained environment." where we probably won't deal with the end of the universe. I heard something recently. You don't know you don't know what a limit is unless you're beyond the, the limit. Does that make sense? So no, you know, but it, uh, made me, it made me think of the 1980s song by Joe Esposito, <laughs> Push It to the Limit. Yes. So so you so in a sense if you're doing a graph, right? If we do if we do 2x, let's say I do 2x or y equals 2x and I graph it. And then let's say I expand all the way outward, right? And my top is a million and my right is 10 billion. It looks like an asymptote. Like we, we, we're, we're okay, it looks kind of like an asymptote. But if we get to the other side of what we believe the asymptote to be, we know it's not the limit. But you only know it's a limit if you're beyond that point and you can see that it never approaches that point. No? Okay. Ron, Maybe what's that you? <laughs> I mean, this is the most scientific we've actually gotten on one of these episodes. I was going to pull something out of my ass to the effect of um, the Sandlot. Heroes live, but legends never die. Um, so ah, yeah. there, there's something to be said about, I think, more of a simplistic view. But sometimes we all need to be the inspiration for others, whether or not you go down in the you know, history books for what you do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sometimes the, there's the butterfly effect. I'm not denying that for a second. What I'm saying is someone who is doing, doing, uh, doing something for the hopes to be in the history books, Mm -hmm. I think is a worthless endeavor. If you do something tremendous and you are remembered for that, that's incredible. That's great. But to think like, ah, yes, if I just do this, I'll be remembered forever. Going back to the chaos thing, I, I okay. think that I think that is a fruitless endeavor. But yeah. we're never gonna we're never gonna wholly know if someone's just because we are unaware of their remembrance. Remembrance doesn't mean someone else isn't is or is not. And I think taking it even to a more contemporary artistic view, think about Warhol and his quote about fifteen minutes of fame that everyone gets right. So especially with uh, social media, I mean, people get their level of fame. Yeah. Is it a degree of immortality? No, but it's so hard, I think, from our vantage point to really assess what's going to live in the history versus what doesn't that it. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I could see where it's also realistically, it's a I don't think it's something that can easily be accomplished. So to be fair, if you were Achilles taking that all back. To be told, yeah, people will remember you forever. That's that's pretty powerful, even yeah. by uh, Greek terms, to kind of think about that. I mean, we remember him to this day. Yeah. Well, that, that, if he existed. If Well, yes, of course. We don't know how much of the Trojan War story was real or not. That Trojan horse sure did a lot of things for history, though. Sure did, sure did. a lot of things, yeah. All right. Well, wow. We have really taken a very, very long ember round, um, which has been awesome. Okay. And you've made it through. Congratulations. I think this is the most time we have spent debating and talking about (laughs) the specific choice of any given guest, which is awesome. (laughs) That's funny. So I think with that, we're going to have to take a short break. 
and we'll be right back. And then we're going to get into the sciences and we're going to get into some other fun stuff. So with that, stay tuned. What's up, guys? This is Ruben. You may remember me as being the first ever guest on the Between Two Studs podcast. I'm here now to promote my podcast, Guys Who Cry. Me, along with my co-host, Adam Cook, we talk about a wealth of topics ranging from crying, men crying, because something we all do, to, you know, some lighter things. Uh, for example, our newest episode, Adam and I talked about our dating blunders and just weird date stories. So guys, if you'd be so kind, head on over to Spotify, Anchor, Apple, iTunes, and hit that follow button. Talk to us. Our Instagram is at guys who cry official. That is guys who cry official. Check us out. We love to hear from you. And welcome back. We're joining this episode with Cortland Garrett, and we're having a great time learning a little bit about Greek mythology. And now we're going to get in. He's, he's made it all the way past the Ember Round. Now we're into all of the really, really tough questions. So with that, let's get into a little bit about your career and. One of the things that Alex has already mentioned is that you're a scientist. Yes. So you're the second scientist that we've had that's actually had a scientific background. And you're, you're a chemist. So what is your fascination with chemist and what is, chemistry and what is it that you actually do professionally? So I'm a wood chemist. And I should clarify to say that I'm a pulping chemist. So wood, you know, trees, even like bamboo is considered a wood. Um, there are some people use hemp as well as a as a medium to convert to pulp. So I'm a pulp chemist. So I take wood, I put it in a caustic or basic solution. It dissolves the fibers and lignin and other uh, cellulose inside of it. And it creates like a pulp, like picture applesauce, but the actual chunks are more solid. Mm, And that's kind of, that's kind of what we make. Uh, Then we, we use that for a lot of other purposes, like tissue paper or tissue, paper, cardboard, anything that is a paper product comes from wood pulp. So that's what I currently do. Now, you were uh, more into polymers at one point too, right? So, so actually, so I should go back a little bit. Fibers. So fibers are polymers. So, you know, polymers are made of monomers. So a monomer is like a sugar, whereas a fiber is, sorry, a monomer is like a sugar. So a polymer is like a starch. So you know how they say you should drink, you should consume complex sugars. A complex sugar is a polymer, whereas sugar is a monomer. So the wood fibers, the cellulosis, the hemicelluloses, holocelluloses, lignin, all those things are polymers. And there's a lot to polymers. There's a lot of different chain links and whatnot. But uh, cellulose is a complex polymer, so it actually branches out. So it's not a particular chain length. Corlin, I didn't understand a <laughs> word that you just said. Okay, I make rope from wood. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you. So, now, I, I got a little bit of what you were saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but whatever you do with wood, don't drink the alcohol because that alcohol is different, right? So, yes. However, fun fact. So, currently, um, I'm a young chemist. I'll put it that way. I'm a young chemist. I'm I'm starting to get into the rhythm of the science I like. So right now I'm reading a lot about um, lignans. Lignans are a, a type of sugar, and actually, actually a lot of the sugar that we get in our liquors when you put them in barrels comes from the lignin of the barrels because the alcohol actually dissolves some of the glue. Lignin is kind of a glue from the actual mm-hmm. wood. So that's what I do. I'm a lignin guy. Is what they call me at work. Nice. <laughs> I am not a scientist. Mm-hmm. As you know, Ron and I's dad was a chemist for a long time. And I think what was always interesting to me as a kid, even though I didn't have an affinity or interest in chemistry myself, mm-hmm. was that our father would talk to us all about how chemistry has changed and how mm-hmm. science has changed. You know, he talked about when he was going to school, everyone was, if you're going into chemistry, you were required mm-hmm. to take years of german because the germans essentially invented and created modern day uh, science uh, mm-hmm. chemistry 
And and so to really understand chemistry, you really had to understand German. Okay. And and I think what's interesting is is how science changes over the years. And as you're someone who's been in your career now seven, eight years, mm-hmm. where do you see the future of chemistry going in, in the next 10 to 15 years? So I think the difference in today's field of science than we'll say 10 years ago, keep it simple, let's say 15, is there's more of a hyper-specialization in science today. The, a PhD you would get about two decades ago would be more broad and open. Like people were just discovering, people were just discovering, for instance, what lignin was 20, 40 years ago. Like we, we knew what lignin was in a way, but we were just really understanding what that meant for for wood, you know, wood products and wood research and all that kind of stuff. Whereas today, you know, we know down almost to the T what types of trees have which type of lignin and all this stuff. So for me doing my research, I can't just say this tree has, you know, 30% SG versus 10% H type, right? I have to be able to say, well, this actual, so it's a thing called compression wood versus opposite wood. So imagine, you know, a tree is being blown against. So the side that's the side that is opposite to the wind blowing, so the backside that's supporting the tree will actually have compression wood. And that compression wood has a different type of lignin than the opposite wood because it has to be stronger so the tree doesn't break. But did the tree make a noise? <laughs> yes, it creaks all the time. So so for me, that's the level I have to understand as a scientist today versus the scientists of yesterday. And I think that's the beautiful thing about science. It, it compounds on itself because all the knowledge that existed before exists. Therefore, we can acquire it and use that to find new knowledge. You know, your dad had to learn German. I spent a, a decent amount of time I would say maybe half a semester's time learning a little bit of Latin mm. for for chemistry because a lot of the elements come from Latin words, ferrous being iron. So I, I learned a decent amount of um, Yes. I remember all those. <laughs> PB is lead. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. keep going. Mm. <laughs> no, that's it, really. I, I learned a little bit of Latin, and it really helped me get through those those Chem 1, Chem 2, and a little bit of um, P-Chem as well, which, oh, P-Chem. Well, so do you want to comment on the future of chemistry? Where do you think it's going? So there's a movement right now, actually. Uh, should you know what STEM is? Mm-hmm. Yes. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So there's actually a movement currently going on for STEAM which yes. is science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Um, in, one way it's, in one way, it's to kind of help funding in the arts, but in another way, it's to bring creativity back to the sciences. I, I would say that I was blessed in doing science because I had good teachers in high school. They, they, were, they, they loved the sciences. And for shout out to Mr. Hoke and Mr. Blaze, love you guys. So, you know, they really instilled in me a love for science. And I think that the future of science is going to come down to people looking at it not as hard, but as, as something that's just as interesting, something that challenges you, something that makes you think. And I think adding the arts to that would actually help that creative aspect. So I think that would be really helpful. You know, not that I blame any of my educators for my lack of interest in science, but I do know this. For me, when I was in school, in high school, like chemistry, for example, I was just doing Lewis structures all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't find it to be rewarding or creative in any way. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, this is this is this is what we're going to do. And I didn't really understand what I was actually doing, but I just memorized the formulas. Yes. So for me, I liked science because it was the hardest thing to do. Right. I knew that if I did science and I said I was a chemist or a scientist, people would say, "Oh, that's hard." That's the first thing everyone has ever told me when I said I was a scientist or a chemist, they would say, oh, that class was hard. And yes, it was hard, right? But for me, every class is hard for me. Like philosophy was hard. Uh, English literature was hard. History was hard. Like every class for me was difficult. But I felt the most rewarding in doing the science because I knew that was the one thing that everyone found difficult. So if I stick with that one, I know that, all right, these are all difficult for me, but this one is the hardest one. And if I do this one for a while, I'll stay challenged and motivated to learn more. 
because there's always more to learn in science. And it kind of goes back again to the Sisyphus story, right? There's always more to learn. I will never get bored of learning about science because there's no limit. There's no asymptote. There's no, there's no end to the knowledge. What I think is interesting about science, I remember hearing a philosopher talk about this once, mm -hmm. and they said, sciences are really the only thing that are true. And what I mean, what he meant by that was if, if, if for whatever reason there was a reset button, there was a reset button in the universe and everything started over again, the arts would be different, mm -hmm. right? Uh, music would be different. If there's one constant is scientists would come back to the same exact answers to why gravity exists, right? Why the, the fundamental physics that exists would all mm -hmm. still be discovered. Different, right? sim different symbols, same theory. Right. Those same things, they're universal truths. And for pretty much everything else, that might not be the case. But for sciences, it absolutely is. Which is why I love it again. Because there is a right or wrong. You must have a story where an experiment went terribly wrong. Or at least there was a close call. Perhaps an explosion. Tell us about it. So I'm not going to say when this happened, but there, I definitely experienced a point in my scientific career where I was purposely making explosions. So I taught myself how to make smoke bombs because nice. it was fun. It was very simple. And I'm going to skip the recipe because I don't want to teach people how to make I'm smoke say, bombs. Don't, don't, we don't encourage that behavior. <laughs> but so it's, a very, it. you know, it's a very simple, pseudo-safe uh, process. So I used to make smoke bombs and, you know, we would we would make them and, you know, you you light them and they smoke. And depending on how much I want to say this part, depending on how much sugar you use, it mm -hmm. would increase or decrease the rate of uh, smoke being produced. Right. If you use too much sugar, it won't burn because sugar isn't really flammable. And if you use too little sugar, it just blows up. So later on in my experience. I was like, all right, I want to make a really, really good smoke bomb. So I looked up a recipe using pure chemicals. And there's a, there's a fine line between a smoke bomb and a pressure bomb. Mm. So I made a smoke bomb, and I put it in a capsule. I was like, okay, this is going to be a really good smoke bomb. So I want to put a case around it in case it explodes. And then I was like, I'll put another case to catch the explosions in case it happened. So there's three, so three fail-safes, and, okay. and there's a hood to protect all of this, right? So I make the So you bomb. must have mentally prepared that this yeah, could prepared. go this bad. Could go bad. Yes. This could go bad. But I wasn't ready for how bad it <laughs> So I light it. Well, guess what happens? It doesn't explode, it leaks. So now the primary shell is the primary explosive, which is about two sizes bigger. So about quadruple the pressure. So now I have a secondary shell for that one, and that's it. So it's going to easily go through that. Needless to say, I was picking glass out of my hair for about two days. <laughs> the moral of the story, I no longer make bombs or smoke bombs of any sort. So side, thing, side note on that, because I, I've kind of heard that a lot of older chemists have kind of relented or talked a little bit negatively about how we're so interested in trying to provide a safe environment for kids that mm -hmm. like the science experiment kits that chemistry kits that kids would get like in the fifties and sixties, like you can legit blow shit up with that stuff. Yes. Today. Good luck. What are your thoughts with that? Because I think where I've heard some chemists have kind of commented is that these new kits, they don't really inspire an interest in chemistry. Oh, that's cool. You turn something blue or red. Whoop de do. So it, what are your thoughts? I I've had some of the kits. Um, you know, we back in college and even um in my earlier career, in my earlier jobs, we would do uh, outreach where we would do scientific experiments with communities. And it was a good way to show people what science is. Like, for instance, like some of the ingredients in my smoke bombs earlier are actually in toothpaste. So at one point I tried to use toothpaste as an ingredient. It didn't work, mm -hmm. but so it's like, you know, as a scientist, like I've seen it, I've experienced this. So I can kind of look at things and see them differently. And I think what those things do are they put, they open your eyes. You see a pure chemicals, you see these reactions, you see these things. Like, oh, that's what it is. Like the whole water with alcohol on your hand to make a fire that won't burn you. 
right? That's a very simple scientific experiment that you could easily do, or you could easily hurt yourself. And you've seen the TikTok videos where kids burn their hands because they didn't use the right amount of water. I believe that, I think Alex would agree to this too. You pick, what is it? You pick freedom or you pick safety. And I think as society has developed, we've picked safety over freedom a lot. Mm. And I, I, I don't like it necessarily, but I knew when my when I have kids, I plan on doing scientific experiments with them. Like one experiment I want to do is looking at how ice affects pipes, right? It's easy to do. You take a pipe, seal it, put water in it, put it in the freezer. So that water inside cannot get below 32 degrees because it has to freeze, but there's no space. But mm. technically, that's a bomb as well. Because if it does freeze, it has no space. Therefore, it has to explode outward. But it's water. So is that unsafe? Well, technically, it's, it's unsafe based on pressure, but technically it's safe because it's water. So I think that's kind of where I'm at is I plan on teaching my friends, my kids, science and what it is, the, these kind of things. They're very interesting. They challenge your mind. They make you think. And also, you understand why your pipes burst in the winter, too. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I certainly this is not a show where we get overly political. But I think there is something that you brought up that I, I do think is it's worth pondering, mm -hmm. which is, you know, there's a famous quote that that more or less says those that would give up essential liberties to purchase a little bit of safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And I, I think there there is a, a balance, right, where you are trying to keep uh, a civilized society from from risk, from danger, but what are you giving up in return for that? Because there's mm -hmm. absolutely a give and get, right? There, mm -hmm. Those levers apply in science and they apply in life, for sure. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you guys to go out and let your kids lose fingers to explosives, though. <laughs> but at the same time, we have to allow kids to play in dirt if they want to play in dirt. And All right, that's Cortland's PSA of the day, everyone. <laughs> and oh, I like that. Fun extent, um, sort of related to that. I have to say, one of my favorite experiments that we did as kids that we probably shouldn't have, and thankfully, uh, it's pretty hard to do now, is making a sparkler bomb. Alex, you remember that, right? Oh, those are fun. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> those were pretty wild. I mean, you know, uh, for for anyone listening. Um, you know, you probably remember lighting a sparkler as a kid. They're not very exciting at all. They're 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 actually like fun for about ten seconds, and then you're like, all right, now I got to hold this stick that has little sparks coming off it for another minute and a half, and it's really boring. And so we had a fun experience experiment as kids where we're like, well, what if we tied up like a couple hundred sparklers together all at the same time and lit a fuse? What would happen? And we didn't know. We, 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 brought, we went out to the cul-de-sac, and we had this big open area on the asphalt. And I remember we, we had all these sparklers coming out of soda cans, right? And we tied them all together with duct tape. And, and then we were like, cool, let's, let's light one. And it kind of used it as a fuse to all the others. And you back away. And the thing that shocked me, and, and, and Cortland, you might have the science explanation for it, but I think the heat got – it was so quick that once it got to the bundle, I mean, it was, it was a light explosion. And the, what normally takes a minute and a half for one of these things to burn, the whole bundle of a couple hundred of them burned out less than a second. Well, I mean, it, was, it was incredible. You're forgetting something too. There was a massive mushroom cloud that it also created where oxygen <laughs> just got sucked in all of a sudden. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to get at was if the temperature changes too fast, then you get that. You get that that transfer of energy is so quick that you get that uh pressure pressure gradient change. So, mm -hmm. when you when you said the mushroom cloud, I was like, okay, it's definitely a pressure gradient change. That's yeah, right there. You did it. So you made you made your first bomb. Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a little antic thing that we did when we were kids. Speaking of when we were kids, Cortland, switching okay. gears a little bit, a little bit, getting away a little bit from the science and peeling back the young and getting to know Cortland a little bit better. I know you were a Philly boy. 
you grew up in Philly. I know to this these days, to this day, you spent a lot of time up there. Mm-hmm. Tell us, for anyone listening, you're in Philadelphia. You're going to get a cheesesteak. Where are you going? So I am very, very, very biased on this because I didn't. I didn't grow up with the mainstream cheesesteak places. Good. Like, like I stayed between um, what was that? Sydenham Street and uh, Poplar Street. Those are the two streets I pretty much stayed on. Or I should say that Sydenham Street I stayed on and my father was over in Poplar, so we went there from time to time. But those are the main places I really got cheesesteaks from. Like I never went to the like the Geno's and all of the places. So for me, my favorite cheesesteaks have always been just going to the corner store and saying, Yo, Poppy, let me get a cheesesteak. And that's it. Like that's that's all I've ever known. I don't I can't I can't tell you. I would say go to a corner store before you go anywhere else. And if the guy behind there doesn't speak English, you're you're good. <laughs> good enough answer for me uh I, I you mentioned this earlier and this is where i came up with that term i said you're a boomerang delawarean you moved to delaware when you were what 10 11 yeah then you then you left delaware mm-hmm. you said i'm too good for this place i'm just mm-hmm. kidding i'm just kidding i was it's okay and now you're back <laughs> yeah. likely permanently i know you were talking about buying a house at some point in northern I'm looking delaware. this weekend what makes Delaware so special for you? Why do you want to be a Delawarean blue hen the rest of your life, potentially? I think outside of the actual geographical aspect of it, I have a lot of family and friends here. And I think approaching your 30s or, you know, approaching that that a part of your adulthood where you're like, I'm a fully formed adult, the importance of family and friends really kind of comes back to you. Right. Like I don't really have much of a relationship with a lot of my family. So I think coming back here, a lot of it was a significant portion of it was, hey, I get a chance to rekindle those relationships. Like my um, like my bro- I have a brother in Philadelphia who I have I don't talk to often, but we play we play games together and we hang out from time to time now. So I really get a chance to talk to him and get to know him better than I ever have. And on top of that, Delaware is a great state. You're well, you're two and a half, three hours from New York. You're an hour and a half from Baltimore, just under two hours from D.C., hour from Philly. Like Delaware really is one of those perfect little states, cities, areas that is close to everything you could ask for culturally while still have, being really quiet in a small city. Not even cities. Very, um, I guess you would say rural, urban, not urban, rural, suburban. suburban. There we go. Mm-hmm. So I, I just like it as a state. And also, there's no sales tax. So, all right, we got to talk about Wawa for a second. Mm. What are your thoughts? Is it a magical place or highly rated, overrated? My thoughts are: all my friends in North Carolina who said Sheets is the spot, you lying, you are lying to yourself. <laughs> Wawa is the spot to be. Every time I came home from North Carolina to here, on my way here and back, I always grab Wawa. Huawei is the way. How dare you? Well, you know, it's funny. We had a guest on who she was from Florida and Florida, as you may or may not know, actually has Wawa's there. And she was also equally the same way. She was like, yeah, after Wawa, everything else is just it's 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 not the same. So I'm looking forward to the day in Georgia when we get Wawa's down here. I'll say this about Wawa and about sheets is you brought up the comparison, not me, but I got to respond representing all the Pittsburgh people who are listening. This is what, this is my take. This is my hot take. Sheets has a much larger menu than Wawa, but they are just okay at everything. Right. But like they have everything, man. Like I know Wawa just got a burger, but like sheets has been making that for a long time. You want to get quesadillas. You want to get pizza. Sheets covers it all. But I've always said they just do an okay job at it. What I actually always respected about Wawa is they had a much smaller menu. But what – and for traditionally, it used to just be hoagies, right? That was it. It was hoagies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but what they did was excellent. I always said it was, it was a far superior quality but um, a much more limited menu option. Now, I haven't lived in, in Wawa land in a while. I will say this. I've heard Wawa's burger, not good. I've heard it was okay. And so I'm a little worried that Wawa, for anyone listening who, who's from Wawa corporate, I'm a <laughs> little worried 
that you might be trying to go down the sheets route, which is, mm-hmm. hey, we'll have a wider menu and we'll go from having a nine out of 10 on the food caliber to being a seven out of 10, but we'll have a wider range. I would say pick your lane, stick with your hoagies and be a nine out of 10, as opposed to trying to diversify and be sixes and sevens. That's that's now, all I'm going to say. Now, how are their iced coffees? Sheets. They're okay. They're okay. Okay. But Wawa iced coffees. Sure. Sure. You know what? It's funny. I, this, this might not be fair. Mm-hmm. I think when I, when I think about the comparison, I'm not thinking about coffee. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And maybe that maybe for you, that would be like, well, Alex, no, I was just, I thought that's about a, it. that for some people that might be like, well, that's the reason I go to Wawa. I go for the coffee. But for me, it's like, okay, when I go, when I'm back in town, I want to get a sandwich. I want to, I want to get, you know, the, the, the meals from scratch ready to go. And uh, I'm, I'm just a little worried that Wawa's trying to go down the sheets route and why, and, and sheets has been wildly successful. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? They're very popular, but I just think I've never been to a sheets and had, I've never had a terrible experience, but I've never had a great experience. And I have had great experiences at Wawa. Although the only time I've ever been food poisoned in my entire life was a Wawa meatball sandwich but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother story it's for another day i can see it i can see it now so so alex let me throw a little wrinkle on that throw the wrinkle throw a wrinkle all right so when i went to college i was in nipa we learned about that last week right yes and nipa is definitely sheets country right Mm -hmm. now here's the thing that i thought was interesting with sheets right you mentioned how i mean yeah it's not great but Add on the complexity of having a few drinks, right? And then when you visit the Sheets and you have a fairly wide menu and you're oh, a college student and it's 11 drunk, or 12 a night. <laughs> totally, totally. If I'm drunk and I don't really care, yeah, I would probably in potentially prefer Sheets. Yeah. Because, because you know, when you, there's a certain point where you're drunk and you don't really appreciate a 9 out of 10 in terms right. of quality, you're fine with a 6 or 7. And so I totally agree with you on that. Like, in terms of diversity, like, mm-hmm. you want to just get some really weird, like, you want to get some onion rings and you want to get some what hot dogs bre- or whatever, breaded Nachos. chicken or whatever. Like, yeah. that's, that's sheets. I think my bias comes in here because, again, I experienced North Carolina. And for oh, every sheets – Yes, yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. I got yes. excited. I got excited. You saw it in my eyes. Yes, I saw it. So uh, yeah, can you explain to the universe? Yeah. Explain so, to the universe what is cookout. So so I let me rhyme a little bit. So for me, Wawa is my late night. I need some food as I'm driving home sober, because I don't drive drunk. Mm-hmm. As I'm driving home sober, sober, I am hungry. So I get Wawa. However, in North Carolina. We had sheets, which is similar to Wawa, open late. They have food, but we had cookout. And cookout, oh, cookout. Ooh, they had cheer wine. Ooh. <laughs> so, so cookout, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a, if you know what Sonic, Sonic, if you know what um, Checkers is, it's like the southern version of Checkers. The difference being they're open till about 5 a.m. And they open up at 6 a.m. What? So, <laughs> I'll say it again. They're open till about 5 a.m. And they open back up at 6 a.m. <laughs> and Ron, and, I have to say, I, Cortland took me when I was down visiting him in Greensboro. And 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 I'm just going to give you my quick experience. And then, Cortland, I want you to fill in the gaps. Sure. I went. And we all got in the car. And it was like, this is an experience, everybody. And there's four of us. Right? And I said, Cortland, this is my treat. This is this will be fun. This will be fun. Thanks for taking me out. Thanks for hosting me. And I was like, yeah, whatever you want, put it on my credit card. We were getting milkshakes and like you get these meals and then the sides. Like you could literally get like chicken tenders was a side. Like like as a side. I'm chicken like, tender, corn dogs, and uh, chicken wraps. Those are side sides. items. Those aren't even the main <laughs> meal, right? And anyway, there's four of us and we come up and you know to pay. And it was like eleven ninety nine. I'm like, <laughs> like, what are you yes. talking about? We got four milkshakes, and, and like, we got chicken tenders and burgers and fries, and yeah, eleven ninety nine. I was like, what the, what the hell is this place? <laughs> Cortland, talk about it more. So, so they have. 
it was probably like eighteen dollars. So um, so they do a tray. So your tray, most trays are like a burger or like hot dog. If it's a hot dog, you get two hot dogs, and every tray comes with two sides. Your side options are chicken nuggets, hush puppies, fries, corn dog, and chicken wraps, generically. And you get two sides. You can get two corn dogs. You can get two orders of hush puppies. You can get a corn dog and a chicken wrap. And this is all a tray. And then you can upgrade your drink to a milkshake. And they have about 40, 50 different flavors. So my flavor is strawberry cheesecake milkshake. But you can get pretty much most of these flavors mixed together. And it's about mm, around five bucks a tray. I think like either like four fifty or like five fifty a tray. And I remember I couldn't eat it all. I, I mean, it, I, we went back to your place and watched Rick and Morty, and I was like, I can't, I, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. I mean, the three of us could go. To, we're three grown men. The three of us could go to cookout and get stuffed for about thirteen bucks total. Yes, it's. Like I said, they, they close at about 5 a.m. and open back up at about 6 a.m. It's it, there's, there's only ever a line there at 1.30 a.m. through about 3 a.m. That's the only time there's ever a line. But it's one of those places, at least the one near you, Cortland, where they have two drive-thrus. Most of them have two, yeah. Yeah, so you just have the center place in the middle, and then you have two drive-thrus, and you have a little walk-up. So that's the only way. There's no in, You can't go indoors. It's either there's two drive-thrus yes. or you go you walk up. And I got to say – I had it in Greensboro. It was kind of a it was a it was kind of a godlike experience for me. <laughs> and then um, I've since had it elsewhere in the South. In fact, Ron, there are three in Atlanta, Georgia. I I've, I've been to one of the three in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they're they're wonderful. Again, like feed your whole family. You you could probably stock up and get a whole week's worth of food for you and your family, you and your wife now, and daughter, for about twenty five bucks. You I would hey, recommend that. We got we got food covered for the next week. Nope. No, it, we don't. We don't need to go to the grocery store. It doesn't hold week. up. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. So I love cookout. However, I don't eat cookout after that night. If I put it in the fridge, I don't eat it. I will say that it doesn't hold up well overnight. Is it? Is it? Is that something where you just like look at it and you're like, "Ooh, that's probably not good for me." Yes, all of that. Okay. All right. <laughs> But that's the best. That's the best kind of food. Well, speaking of late night food, I've heard that you've been known to dabble in Dungeons and Dragons from time to time. Now, most of our listeners, they've probably only seen the game briefly mentioned on shows like Big Bang Theory and Stranger Things. But I know better. I've played it myself. I've dabbled. But for everyone else that's listening, what is it? And tell us, why do you love it so much? So Dungeons and Dragons is is a role playing game. It's like an open world concept. So it's really hard to explain. So the sim- most simple way I can do it is you have one person dungeon wait, master. Wait, before you before you continue, let's roll a dice for you and see if your charisma checks the, out. The twenty okay. the twenty sided die. Let's see. All right, your D twenty. I roll it. You get a sixteen. You're good. Keep okay, going, we're man. good. We're good. I passed the 15 DC. Perfect. All right. So Dungeons and Dragons, uh, generically speaking, a person creates a universe for you, either using a predetermined script or making up their own. They're called the Dungeon Master. They are, in a sense, the god of the universe. And by god of the universe, you could say, DM, I want to go to the bathroom. And they could say, no, sit down. And you say, yes, sir. Can they so say, lo- you got to go to the bathroom, roll D20? Let's yeah, make sure, you know, think, well, what, what they would do is they say, "Let's do a dexterity roll to see if you can figure out how to get yourself." They can do the all those things, and you're so like, "Okay, you roll, and you get a one." And the DM's like, "Oh man, yourself. you're too stupid to figure out how to go to the bathroom. You you, you just go." And my DM would definitely do that. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so the DM creates the world, and the PC player characters they exist in the world, and your job is to play out the interactions and the world in which the DM has created. So in a way it's like, imagine your favorite RPG, but then like it's truly open world. Like imagine your favorite MMORPG and it's open world truly. And I think what I love about it is it allows you to be as much of a jerk as you want. It allows you to have that hero's journey. It allows you to kind of do those things that shock people. So for instance, my favorite character I ever created, his name was Grenix Silvermane. He was a Leonine fighter, Leonine Leonine fighter. And he, he was actually a cavalry fighter. 
So he was a mounted combatant, meaning he rode on top of a horse. My horse was a lion. Hmm. So I was a lion character riding on top of a lion. So for those of you who know Warhammer 40K, I was playing uh, uh, Space Wolves pretty much, but Space Lions. So I just love that character so much that actually there were times where I actually cried when I actually died. Like as a person, I actually yeah. cried that my character died. And, you know, I had to remind myself, hey, this is a fantasy universe. So I think it's fun because you get to exist in a world where you get to have these challenges that someone else created. It's like a puzzle. It could be you're fighting an arch lich who paralyzed you and you're sitting there trying to help your friends who are getting killed, but you can't because you're paralyzed for roll your dice. Oh, you didn't pass the DC. You're still paralyzed. Last question of the night. Okay. You're on a deserted island. Mm. You can take one podcast with you. Between two studs. Oh. Or our friends at Guys Who Cry. Which one are you taking? Hmm. You put me in a hard spot. Is Ruben sitting next to you? He literally just got back. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you. So I think if I had to make a decision, if I want to desert island by myself, I'm crying enough by myself. So I feel like I'd go with uh, between two studs. Well, and I go. say that because I, I feel like I would get that other aspect of just having this kind of conversation versus talking about my emotions while I'm alone, crying about my emotions. You said it. You said, you said it. it. We, what we're going to do, we're going to get a giant billboard that we're going to pay for, and we're going to have a picture <laughs> of your face, and it will have a quote that will say, I prefer between two studs. Now <laughs> – Prefer is a hard, hard word to use. Well, I don't know. We can roll back the tape. I'm going to use the words you said, and ideally, I'm going to get a sign printed up, and I'm also going to put it right in front of Ruben's house. All right, let's word it this way. If I'm alone by myself on an island, I'm crying enough by myself. Therefore, (laughs) I want to hear intellectual conversation. Oh, yes, both the studs. Well, now, do I need a stud finder for this? Or no, it- you don't. You don't have to use your masonry skills to do that. But uh, speaking of that, let's do a quick plug. Alex, I heard you were recently a you were a guest on Guys Who Cry, and uh, yeah. that's that's something we got to have our listeners check out. I, I was honored. Uh, I was asked by our good friend Ruben, who obviously was our first guest ever yep. uh, on Between Two Studs. He asked me to be his co-host. While his actual co-host was uh, on on vacation, and it was a lot of fun, so uh, we've plugged his show many times. It's a great show, definitely, especially if you're interested in men talking about non-traditional, quote unquote, manly topics, right? Talking about getting more in touch with yourself and uh, kind of challenging the traditional gender norms. It's a really interesting show, and obviously, Ruben's a great friend of ours. And uh, I was on, I was I was able to be on the show, and it was a lot of fun making it. Shout out to guys who cry. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, I have to say, Cortland, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and it was a pleasure having you on this episode. Thank you so much, and we'll have to have you on again in the future. I look forward to it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you.